Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross and the shame that you bore there that is truly ours, that you took our guilt, our shame, our sin, and paid the full penalty for us there on the cross, for the joy that was set before you. You endured the cross, despising the shame. Oh, Lord, we look so forward to that day when we stand with you in glory. Lord, we, we also sang and know in our heart that, that it is only through that completed perfect work of yours on the cross that we can be purified, that our hearts can be pure. Lord, we ask that you do that work in us, that you give us clean hands and a pure heart this evening. Lord, that you, that you continue that sanctifying process in us, that we, that we truly would become more and more like you in your image. Lord, it is our desire, as those who have been purchased by your blood, who are clothed in your righteousness, Lord, that we truly would be holy, set apart for you, Lord, continue that work in us tonight. Bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you're being seated, please say hello to those around you this evening. How's everybody doing this week? Praise the Lord. That's good to hear. It's great to see so many of, uh, of our, uh, how shall we say it, those that, uh, that left us for the summer to cook all by ourselves here. It's good to see some of you coming back. Take out your Bibles, if you would, and we begin a new study this evening. Open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. What? I have to do a little introduction. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. Seriously, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Keep your finger in Joshua if you're already there. We finished up a couple weeks ago um, in our study, and if you weren't here, I mentioned when we did that, when we finished uh, Deuteronomy, we, it took us exactly two years to go through the first five books of the Bible. I thought that was kind of cool. Right to the week, two years. And the first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch, but they're also known as the Law. And as we begin the study of Joshua, we begin the study of 12 books, going through them sequentially in order, which are referred to the books of history in the Bible. And just like any other history class... If you take a class in history in, in, in high school or in junior high school, as my son is taking one now, it begs the question at times, Dad, what in the world is this ever going to do for me? 
I mean, I understand, okay, great, it's kind of interesting and fascinating, but when am I ever going to use this if I'm not going to teach history someday? And that's, that's a good question. I mean, you know, there's that saying, if we don't learn from history, I'm horribly misquoting it, but we're bound to repeat it, right? So there's, there's some essence of that. But bottom line... If you're gonna be, if you're gonna be an economist, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be an engineer, if you're gonna be a doctor, what difference does it make to study certain history? Well, I think it's important as we begin our study here that we see what the Bible tells us as to why. First Corinthians chapter ten says, beginning in verse one. It says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, and they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, those first five verses kind of encapsulate a lot of what we've talked about over the last couple years. But it tells us in verse 6, now these things happened as an example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumbled as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Here Paul is telling us that all of this that we have studied so far and what we will continue to study as we go through the history of the Jewish people is recorded for us for our instruction. It is an example for us. He said along the same lines in Romans 15.4, he said, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. But he goes on, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have knowledge. No, it's not what it said. It's not that we might have knowledge. He says that we might have hope. Hope. And again, as we talk about all the time, when that word comes up in the New Testament, that does not mean hope like the world has hope. Oh, I really hope everything works out. See, that's the hope the world has. They turn on the news, they look around at everything that's going on, and they say, man, I really hope things work out. I really hope that what they're saying might be happening doesn't happen. All of this kind of stuff, the hope that the Bible speaks of is an absolute assurance that we have in our relationship in Christ Jesus. This stuff is recorded for us for that purpose. So this isn't just a history class. There's some fascinating history. The archaeologists use the Bible to know where to dig for sites. They might not 
admit to that, most of them, but that's the case. They, they go to the Bible and say, oh, it should be right in here. They start digging, and what do you know? There it is. It's fascinating. It's going to be an awesome study as we go through it, but never lose sight of that. As I mentioned, the next 12 books that we go through are books of history recorded for our instruction. We also need to understand that the history is recorded in this way as a sort of also spiritual typology. There is a lot of things that we can draw from this. Jesus said when he was speaking to the Pharisees, you look into the scriptures, and at that time the scriptures was all the Old Testament. None of the New Testament had been written yet. He said, you look into that to think you might have eternal life, but what you don't realize is that all testifies about me. Everything that we are going to be studying, beginning with Joshua, which we've already been studying all the way through, it testifies of the Lord Jesus. We talked of this as we were going through our study, that there's a lot of typology with the sacrificial system and all of those things, the tabernacle, all of the pieces in the tabernacle, all of those things, all pointing to fulfillment in Christ. If you were with us in that study, you, you, you know that as we were going through that. We're going to see that same thing picked up as we go through the book of Joshua. As a matter of fact, we start right off with the name of the book, Joshua, written after the main character, the one who we're going to be introduced to right away, the one who takes over for Moses as the leader of the Jewish people. His name, Joshua. Do you know what Jesus' name is? What it was, it was called? Hebrew, Joshua. Yeshua. Joshua is a type, is a shadow of Jesus. And we're going to see that several times as we go through that. Obviously, the ultimate fulfillment being Jesus, Joshua, a type or a shadow. We see, even as we look to where we are right now in the history, as we're seeing it, we see that, that, that they were taken out of, the Jewish people, taken out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And as we spoke then, and we know this, that is a picture, a perfect picture of us in the world. Egypt is a type of the world. Sin, a sinful world. Slavery there. We, human beings, slavery there, taken out of that slavery and bondage to sin. The, the wilderness experience, the baptism as, as we, we saw the baptism as they come through the, 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 the uh, Red Sea, the baptism there, a picture of our baptism. You know, all of these things pointing to that. And here we are, ready to go into the promised land. And as we've talked, coming up to this moment, the promised land is not, is not a picture of heaven. Many people believe that. Many people believe that because of some of the doctrines they've been taught or some of the old spiritual songs that used to you know, sing. Speaking of that, that it's heaven. It's not a picture of heaven. Why? How do we know that? Because once they get in there, what's the first thing they got to do? Fight a battle. Fight a war. What are they going to do for a lot of times after that? Fight battles. Fight wars. We, we also know because Hebrews tells us that. If, if, you're, if you're still there in 1 Corinthians, go over a couple of chapters over to Hebrews, chapter 3. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all, but I would give you as homework. Read Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. It speaks of this, that, that talking about this, this whole idea here. Speaking of that the, 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 they were... They were 
the disobedient and not allowed to enter God's rest in the verse 13, but encourage one another there of chapter three, day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But he goes on, verse 18, and to whom did we swear that they would not enter his rest, speaking of the promised land rest, but those who were disobedient, so that we were not able to enter because of unbelief, speaking of those areas there. And again, I, for the sake of time, I was gonna read it all, but I will never get into chapter one if we don't. So, um, if we do. But if we jump ahead to chapter four, speaking of verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, speaking about when they go into the promised land, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as, did, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. In a nutshell, the promised land is the victorious Christian life that God desires for all of us to have. To walk in victory, to walk in peace as Christians still living here. When, not when we get to heaven, still here. We are gonna face battles every day, especially if we are trying and striving to live a holy life, a life that honors God. We will face battles every day. And as we see this perfect typology as it plays out, the children of Israel moving in, and we'll talk more detail of that even this evening. But speaking of that rest, that rest, it does not mean, because again, battles are coming, it does not mean that we kick back and coast. It do, that's not the rest at all that, that, that is being spoken of here. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now does he mean that you'll just be able to lay down, jump on his back and he'll carry you? That's not what it says, because he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you. Yoke is an instrument of burden. A yoke was put on two oxen, and the two of them pulled it together, or a train of oxen pulling it together. He doesn't say, no labor involved, no work involved. He says, put my yoke on. But then he says, learn from me. Learn from me. He says, he does, he does say that, that you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. As we learn from him, as we pull with him, as we allow him to do that, we walk alongside him. But there is work to do. So that is the rest that is being spoken of, learning from him, victorious Christian living. So that with a very brief introduction, turn to Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one. Verse one, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. First of all, notice again, as we did as we closed out Deuteronomy, the title that Moses carries with him at his death, the servant or the slave of God. And I believe that 
knowing Moses as we have over the past couple of years studying his life, he wouldn't want it any other way. All glory to God, I'm just his slave. I'm, I'm, I'm just his servant. You know, we talked of that in that time frame that, that, that God said, I speak to Moses like I don't speak to anybody else. I speak to Moses like two friends would talk to one another. Moses was a friend of God, but never lost sight of the fact that he was a servant of God, a slave of God. Jesus tells us, I no longer call you slaves, but friends, right? And we're co-heirs, but, but as we read through the epistles, you notice how Paul and Peter and Jude proudly say, a slave of Jesus, a slave of Jesus, wearing that, with that, that mark, as we talked about this weekend, with pride. I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an honor to be his servant, and it was for Moses. Moses, notice, he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it really well. Verse two, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, Moses is dead. Remember, we found out how that happened. God took Moses up on the mountain so that he could see the promised land, could not enter the promised land, and there he died, and God took his body. So, here they are down there. Maybe some of them knew he was going up to die, but still kind of waiting. Maybe he's going to come back. Maybe he's not. What's going on? And God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. He's not coming back. And, and in that, there was, we talked of that. There was a time of mourning, and there should be. When, when we lose someone here on earth, there is a time of mourning, but there's also that time to step up and say, all right, they're with the Lord now, and we need to continue moving on. There's still work to be done here. Now here, obviously, speaking of, of physical death, but that can happen in many other areas as well. It could happen where somebody that, that we rely on, that is a leader, that is, ab is above us, they, they get transferred. They, they have to move. A family member gets called away or, or, or whatever that is. And, and we're, we find ourselves in a situation that the person that I looked up to, the person that, that, that I was relying on is no longer here. Now what? And I love this because if you look down to verse five at the end of it, it says, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Doesn't matter. This didn't catch God by surprise. Oh no, Moses is dead, now what do we do? God knew this all along and many times things can come against us quickly. This we knew was coming. Joshua knew this was coming. Everybody knew this was coming. God told Moses. Moses told everybody. Remember at first Moses said, and it's your fault. But later on he's mellowed out and it was because of his own sin. But he, this, they knew this coming. But things can come by surprise, but nothing catches God by surprise. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing ever dawns on God? <laughs> nothing comes out of the blue to him. He is sovereign. He is in control. And there are times where a change is needed because 
people start to look to the man instead of looking to God, regardless of how, how faithful that man is, like Moses was, to deflect all the glory to God, people can look to a man or look to an organization or, and, and turn their away from God. And sometimes God has to shake things up. But it didn't catch the, the Lord at all by surprise, certainly. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Arise, Joshua, you're the man. You are the one that is going to take this from here on. You are the one who is going to cross this Jordan, you and all these people. And when I, when I, when I look at this, I, I love this too, because if we look back at verse 1, it says, you know, Moses, the servant of the Lord, but notice it says Joshua was the servant of Moses. He would, here he's getting promoted from being the servant of Moses to the slave of God. Now, obviously, Joshua was a godly man, a slave of God as well, but his ministry to this point was to minister to Moses. What do you need, Moses? How can I help you? How can I serve you? As a matter of fact, there are two different words that are used there. Slave is the word used to describe Moses. The one used to describe uh, Joshua here is that word minister, literally meaning one who personally ministered to the needs of Moses. Do you want to be used by God? I think we, we all better say yes <laughs> and mean it. It's easy in a group this size. Of course I do. <laughs> but mean it. We can learn a lot from Joshua as to the kind of person God loves to use. First of all, we see that, that Joshua was, again, a minister to Moses. That was what he believed from the beginning, I believe, was going to be his ministry, was simply to serve Moses. He wasn't in it for a promotion. He wasn't in it for prestige. He wasn't in it for power. He was in it because that was his calling. That is what God placed on his heart, was to serve Moses. That was, that was, he, that he was content with that ministry. You want to honor God? Be content in the ministry he has you in now. We see patience with Moses. Another thing, be patient where God has you now. We don't know exactly, but Joshua's not a young kid. <laughs> Estimates have him between 80 and 90 years old at this point. So it wasn't like he's just biding his time until this happens. He was patiently and, and probably had no aspirations for anything else. And God honored that. You've heard it, what Jesus said, those that are faithful in the little things will be given more things. He was faithful in the little things. Ministering to Moses. What types of little things? Things so little they weren't even mentioned. We don't have a record. We have some things, we'll get to those in a second, but not many. We know that he sat outside the tent of meeting while the Lord was, when Moses would be inside meeting with the Lord. I got to imagine sometimes it was like, wow, what are we going to do? But most of the time, 
as, as, as I have come to know Joshua, and again, I, I, I love to place myself in those situations, and I encourage you to do that, especially as we go through these history things. Put yourself there. Get to know these people, because my picture of Joshua has changed dramatically over the last few weeks as I've been studying and reading. But I see Joshua sitting outside the tent of meeting, waiting for instructions from Moses to go do them. Not bored, not saying, man, when's it going to be my turn? But Moses, what would you have me do for you? What is God telling you to have me do for you? Faithfulness, humility, humility, another huge thing. God loves to use those that are, that are humble. I, again, don't, don't have certain, I'm not, don't, don't quote me on this, but I would almost guess that, jo, that, that Joshua's response was, me? Why not Caleb? I, 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 okay, I, I get that, and I'm, I'm, God, I'm, I'm all ready to do that, but why not Caleb? He's just, he's, he's, he's even probably more qualified than me. I see, I see humility in Joshua. There are many people who are way too overqualified for God to use them. We've had, I've had people come up to me and other ministry leaders, I'm sure, if you've been in ministry and leading ministry, you've probably had this. People come up and will say, hey, I would love to get plugged in here at the church. Fantastic. You know, we have a lot of needs here at the church. Yeah, I'm a Bible teacher. Okay, well, we have needs in the cleaning ministry right now, so, um, so no, but you see, I, God's really called me to be a Bible teacher. Fantastic, but we have needs in the cleaning ministry. We have needs in children's ministry. Yeah, but, well, when you ever have a need in, in, to teach the Word of God, you come and let me know. Okay. <laughs> Way too overqualified for God to use you. There's needs all over the place. And Joshua was one of those guys who, again, what's the need? How do I serve? Where can I go? He was a man of faith. We know that. He was one of the 12 spies that went in to spy out the land from Kadesh Barnea, right? And he was one of only two, he and Caleb, that came back and said, yeah, they're huge, but it's everything that God promised it would be, and God will go before us, and we have no problem. Let's go. But the other 10 said, yeah, but we're like grasshoppers to them, and uh, you know, da-da-da-da, and they... He was one of two that had the faith, faith in God. And again, obedience, another thing. Obedient, not questioning. He went from being a brickmaker in Egypt. He was a slave. He was one that was raised up. He was probably born in Egypt. We don't know that for certain, but in that time frame, he had to be born close by there, if not, but born in that time. And in that time of captivity, when, when they, were, they were slaves, a brickmaker, making bricks, to commanding the army in their first battle. Again, can you imagine that call? Moses saying, yeah, I want you to go and lead the army against these battle-tested people. And Joshua said, okay. Obedient. Who knows? Who's, who knows what God is doing at any given time? You could go back through and look, read all the way through Joshua's life, and now we get here. He's 80-some years old, looking back, and he could probably say, oh, I get it. 
God was doing all of that stuff, all of that time to prepare me for this moment right here. Going through it all, he probably had some questions, like again, running out to that first battle, how do I use this thing exactly? (laughs) Running into the battle. Preparing us. God is preparing us in every step of our journey for the next step in our journey. I don't know if, if you guys are those that remember your dreams. You people, anybody remember their dreams pretty vividly? Yeah, it's kind of weird because my wife will wake up and she'll tell me, she'll go on for 15, 20 minutes explaining this dream to me. And I'm like, wow, I don't remember dreams hardly at all. Hardly ever. And, and, and the ones that I do remember, again, they're, they're really weird, but I do have this one that's, that's kind of a, a recurring dream, and, and you golfers will, will be able to empathize with how, how horrifying this is. I'm standing on the tee box, and I can't, every time I put the ball in the ground, I'm getting ready to stand, I can't, something's obstructing my swing, and I'm feeling like I can't, I can't swing, and everybody's waiting for me to tee off, and I'm just all of this type of thing. What does that mean? I have no idea why I'm sharing that with you. I have no idea. That's not my point. There are some pretty common dreams. You know, like falling. People, people have, you know, you have that feeling where you, you wake up, you know, you're falling. And, you know, but one of the, one of the dreams that, that people have, and, and people who study these things think they haven't figured out as to what this all means, but... The other one is to be unprepared for something. And most of the time it's like public speaking, you know, and it's your turn to get up and you're totally unprepared and you have no notes or you have a test, like you're, all of a sudden you're back at school and, and all of a sudden here's a big exam and you're totally unprepared. And you know that anxiety and that feeling and it's like, oh, you know. Well, God, God doesn't desire that feeling in us. He's never gonna put us in a position where where that's the case. When we get there, we will be prepared to do what he's called us to do. Briefly share, many of you maybe already know my, my testimony, how I came, came back to the Lord, and, 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 but after that time, I, I, I prayed that prayer, Lord, whatever it takes, I wanna follow you from this time on. I give you my life. I rededicate my life to you. I walked away from the Lord, and we were, Christina and I were, were newly married and with a baby, and, and all of it, it was just, it was really stressful, and I, I gave my life to the Lord, and I said, whatever it takes, and I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea what that meant, but I knew that I was all in. And I got, I got a, a, a new copy of God's Word, and I started studying it, and I just loved it. I couldn't, I was devouring it. And I started teaching a Bible study on Tuesday nights, and we had invested everything, we, I, <laughs> my wife went along with my decision, though she didn't agree with it initially. She was, she was being like Sarah and going along with it, but I, I put everything that we had financially and at one time, that was a pretty decent amount of money on this new store that we had opened up down, down on I-10 and the 101, and within months, the economy, the bottom fell out, and 
I've sold hot tubs and backyard barbecue islands. And when people are walking away from their backyards, they're not spending any money in them. So all of a sudden now, I have this huge showroom and nobody is coming. Nobody's even coming in to buy chemicals. And I look back at that now because I'm, I was listening to Chuck Smith teach through the Old Testament on Blue Letter Bible. I was listening to him teach Joshua. And I, I would listen hour after hour after hour. I was going to Bible college. And I didn't have any customers coming in to interrupt me. It was awesome. <laughs> so I would sit there and I'd be studying through and I would be praying. There'd be times I'd be in the back and be saying, Lord, this is your business. What are you doing? We have the, I, what is going on? And I, find, I remember praying out loud one day and almost wishing I could stick the words back in my mouth, but I said, Lord, if you want to take us out of business, that's your call. Yeah. <laughs> Did I just say that? But that's what he, that was his desire. Fast forward a little bit. We're out of business. Some miraculous things, I'll share it another time, in it, but God just moved in so many different ways, but we lost everything, everything. I used, to, I used to stay awake at night, losing sleep as to how I could change my investments so that my investments would continue to grow and grow. I couldn't sleep at nights with that type of stuff. Now I don't have anything at this point, and I'm sleeping like a baby. <laughs> it's like I got nothing to worry about. And I got the call to come on staff here as an assistant pastor. And I was, I was like, well, pastor? I don't have any experience. I can't be a pastor. And, and, but the Lord so confirmed it in my heart. I'll get to that towards the end. But I, he so, so confirmed it in my heart that that was what God was calling me to do. And then fast forward a couple more years and all of a sudden now I'm teaching Bible studies and, and doing this type of stuff and then I get the call to be the senior pastor here. And I look back and I go, wow, I get it. I, I didn't understand it at all as we were going through all of this stuff but, but now I look back and I say, he was preparing me for this. And I say, all of that to speak to whoever it is here right now that is sitting in your situation and you go, I don't have any idea what's going on. What in the world is God doing? I don't have a clue. He's preparing you. He's preparing you for something bigger than, than you have any idea that you could possibly do because you can't do it now. You can't. But he's preparing you for it. Yeah, I, I look back at times, I go, was that really necessary to go through all of that? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes. I got to think Joshua asked that same question. Lord, was it really necessary? Yeah. You see, when God finally makes that call, the calling is far more important than any qualifications you have. You've heard that. When God, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And he's been preparing and equipping all the way through that. And that's what, that's what happens here. And we see verse 
Verse, notice in verse two it says, I am giving to them this land. I'm giving this land. Verse three says, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Everything, everywhere your foot's gonna tread, I have given, past tense. You just have to go in and take it. Everywhere that your foot falls, is the land I'm giving to you. And again, notice it says, I am giving, verse two, I have given, verse three. Go in and by faith, take what it is that I'm giving you. This is a promise, remember. They call it the promised land for a reason. God promised it all the way back to Abraham. This is the promised land. Now you go in and you possess it. Very quickly, I'm gonna... Turn, you can turn there if you can really fast, but 2 Peter chapter 1, for the sake of time I will read it rather quickly, but this is important because again, here we see a direct parallel that we can take from this history lesson and apply it to our very lives today. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 2, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Now what is the promised land a picture of? The godly life, right? So I said the godly Christian life. Well what Peter is saying right here is that he has granted to us everything pertaining to that life. It's already been given to us. That's a promise in the word of God right there. We already have it. Just as the children of Israel had the promised land, God says, I have given it. Goes on, verse four. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. For now this, for, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, are they yours? So that's not saying if you have them. He's saying since you have them. That's what that, that if. Since you have them. And since you have them, if they are increasing, if you are doing what you're supposed to with them, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks it, lacks the fact that they're growing, you have them, but you're not utilizing them. It says, you're blind and short-sighted, having forgotten the purification from his former sins. Therefore, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That's a promise. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Wow, amen, praise Jesus. Okay, parallel. This abundant, victorious Christian life Peter is telling us is the same thing that God is telling Joshua. You go in, put your foot down, wherever your foot falls, that's yours. We need to walk in that. 
We need to walk in faith in that. When we do, it says we have those precious promises. We have them. Everything that we need has been given to us. We have the answer to our promise. What does the Bible tell us? That all of the promises of God are what in Jesus? Yes, in Christ Jesus. All of the promises. I want to talk to somebody here tonight who is dealing with guilt over sin in their life. The Bible tells us that Jesus paid for that sin. It is paid for completely. The guilt that you are carrying is disobedience right now and you need to put it down. That's been paid for. Don't let the enemy lie to you anymore. You claim that promise right here, right now, because it is yes in Christ Jesus. Put the guilt down. Walk in victory. Put your foot down and own that piece of real estate right now. Maybe somebody's here and is dealing with, with a loss of someone. You, 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 it's okay to mourn, but you need to let that go and claim the promise that God will work all things together for good. The word, that, that is a promise in the word of God. You put your foot down and you claim that piece of real estate. It's yours. You are a new creation. I'm struggling with sin, this thing I can't get rid of. Put your foot down. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. You are not that man or woman anymore. I can't deal with this anymore, this situation. I can't. I can't deal with this sickness. I can't deal with this unemployment. I can't deal with whatever it is. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. Put your foot down and claim that. His grace will be sufficient for everything that you need. The problem is, guys, we don't claim enough real estate I'm not getting into the whole name it and claim it thing here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the promises of God's word, not, not name some lottery ticket or whatever. I'm talking about the truth of God's word. And we need to claim that. God has promised it to us for a life of godliness. It says, it says in verse four, this is interesting, from the wilderness and this Lebanon... Even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. Now, any of you seen a map recently of Israel? Okay, I, wanna, I have a slide. I want to put up a map on the screen. That green line right there represents the Euphrates, which is a border that God just said is yours. Israel is right over here. As a matter of fact, they're standing right now right where the J is in Jerusalem as God is telling them that. So what God is saying is from, from where you're standing here, 
all of this, the mountains, the Lebanon, that's all speaking of this up here, up to the Euphrates River, all the way down to the Euphrates River. And so if we figured it ends about there, so we cut across. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, which he said is the western border. So all of this land, God says, wherever you put your foot in there, that's yours. At their height, the most they ever claimed went right through here, right up these mountain ranges, right to there, right that spot right there under Solomon's reign. The spot that God promises them in verse four here covers 300,000 square miles. Again, at their zenith, they got about 10% of that. And again, I see such a parallel in our Christian life. And why does that happen? Because they got comfortable with that. They were like, you know, this is good enough. I'm good enough being saved. It's good enough for me to, to, to be, be used in this little area. It's, it, I'm good enough. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm satisfied where I am. And so often we are satisfied with so much less than what God truly wants to give us. This victorious Christian life. We can be like, like Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh that we'll get to here at the end of the chapter that, that said, that said I, you know, I'm even good still over here in the wilderness. They looked over the, the Jordan River, and by the way, where the Jordan River is, where they're sitting right now looking over to the promised land, I got to imagine some of them were going, that's it? Because it's desert over there. It's, it's, not all that, it's not all that promising this promised land right there. And so they were thinking, you know, it's pretty good right here. I, I'm good with this, this right here. And, you know, over there, it's battles and wars and fights and kind of desolate right there. But so, so I, you know what, I'm good right here. And again, missing all that God has because you get into the promised land, it's the most beautiful, beautiful place. So many get satisfied after their justification where, they, where they, are, they are forgiven and they know they have eternal life and, and they're thinking, okay, I'm good with that. I, I'm good, I, I don't want to push any further and miss the whole process that God wants to take us through in sanctification and holiness. They say, I'm satisfied here, but what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be satisfied or filled that is where we find satisfaction the world will tell you you got enough there and the enemy says all right you're saved i lost you but i don't want you to get involved i don't want you to take anybody else with you so you just be satisfied right there and god says i have so much more for you i have so much more for you Well, we need to hurry. I'm sorry. I'm... Verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Joshua, just like I was with Moses. Moses, this great man 
God is saying, the reason he was great, Moses, is because of me. And I'm going to do the same for you. I'm going to do the same for you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. And Jesus says the same to us, gang. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, I will be with you always. Regardless of where we go, no matter where he calls us, no matter what we're doing, he is with us. And the cool thing, again, the battles that we face, knowing that he has gone before us, he's already did, he has already defeated every foe that we will ever face. That's really cool. Doesn't mean that we don't have to fight. But they fight from a position of defeat. We fight from a position of victory because he has overcome. We overcome because he has overcome. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. The word of God. Do not depart from it. This is where the power is. We talked of this this last week, this last weekend. Remember, learn the word of God, live the word of God, love the word of God. All of those things are so vitally important to our victorious Christian life. We need to learn the word of God. We need to take it in. We need to soak it in. It needs to be a regular part of our daily diet to take in the word of God. But then it says to meditate on it day and night. That word, that word meditate does not mean what we think of meditate, you know, what the world says, you know, like disengage, you know, lose everything, sit there in a trance. That's not what this meditate, if anything, this says the opposite. Engage in it. Engage in the word of God. It has that idea of, of a cow chewing its cud. Meditating on it. Continue to bring it up throughout the day. I don't know how many stomachs a cow has, but it's more than we have. Several more. And what they do is they chew on the grass and they swallow it into the first stomach and then a little while later they comes back up and they chew on it some more to get some more of the nutrients out and then they swallow it into the next one and until they've gotten everything out of it that they can. And that's what the picture of is for us to meditate on the word of God. In the morning, get up in the morning, read some of the word. Say, Lord, reveal something to me today in your word, something personal for me. And as you're going through it and it comes through and you're like, wow, that's great. Jot some notes down or whatever. But through the day, bring that back up. And pray, Lord, how, how, does that, how do you want me to personally, specifically apply that today? And, and as we go through that continually throughout the day, and we do that day after day after day, the word of God becomes our life. And then 
it becomes our love. It becomes everything that we have. And again, it gets to the point where, you know what, even if it's more important than my own life is the truth of God's word. Because in that is my life. And, And the Lord is telling Joshua, you have to do this. This has to be your point. Because this will guide you. This will direct you. This will prosper you. Now again, prosper and success, not like the world would say success. Not like the world would look at that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, we know that verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the world would say, that's an awesome verse. Get rid of the him part, but I can do all things. I mean, that's, they would look at that, how successful can I be? But if we look at that in context, as we've done in our study already before, so I'm repeating for some of you, but if we go back to verse 10, it says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your, con- or I, if re- I, you have revived your concern for me, indeed that you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me changes the meaning of that verse when we see that, right? What that's saying is success in life isn't getting everything I want. Success in life is dealing with whatever comes. I'm content whether I have everything or I have nothing. I can handle that through Christ who strengthens me. That is success. That's not how the world would define it. But the world also, when they lose their success, jumps off of buildings. When when we lose what the world says is successful, we say, you know what, I'm good with that because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's my strength. Not the stock market, not not my job, not, not anything else. He is my strength. Have I not, verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Not in your own strength. Don't muster this up yourself. Know that I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Bible tells us where do we get our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. His will, his way, we follow that. We find joy in following him. That is where our strength comes from. Then, verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you are to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Prepare. Three days from now, you're going to cross the Jordan. Now, if you've been to Israel, one of the things that you will immediately think of when you think of the Jordan River is, it's not all that big. When I went, 
You know, I'm used to like the Colorado River, growing up in Colorado, the Mississippi River, you know, all of these things, big, massive rivers, right? The Jordan River, you probably would say, well, I have some streams at home that are bigger than that. But it was at flood stage during this time, so it was bigger and deeper than, than normal. And when we get to the crossing, I have some pictures I'll, I'll show you when we, when we go through that. But I think it's interesting because the Lord says, prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you're going to cross the Jordan. First of all, waiting is hard, right? Three days. doesn't say get ready, we're going now. Three days. And waiting is hard, but again, during that waiting time, provision takes place, preparation takes place. But God says, prepare provisions for yourself. You're going to cross the river. I'd be thinking, okay, that's kind of a strange thing to say. Because if we're going to cross the river, shouldn't we be preparing a boat? Shouldn't we be preparing a bridge? But that's not what he says. Provisions, meaning food. We're, pre, prepare those type of provisions. That's what's being said. I'd be thinking, what, what do we need that for? We've got to get across the river first. But God's got that taken care of. He's got all of that. So we sometimes can second guess the Lord and start thinking, hey, wait a second, we need to do this first or we need to do that first. And God's saying, wait a second, that's not what I told you to do. You take care of what I told you to do. I either have somebody else taking care of that or I personally will supernaturally take care of that. Verse 12, to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, half-tribe of the Manasseh. Again, they are the ones who said, we're good on this side. But Moses said, if you're going to be good with this side, you got to go help us fight over there. And they agreed. That's, that's back many chapters. But remember the word which Moses, the servant, the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. So fulfill your obligation. You go and help your brothers fight to get their land. Then you can come back and enjoy it. Leave some people back here with your wife and kids as they settle, but you got to go take care of that. Verse 16, they answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now I love this, this last part because here again, here's these, these, these tribes. And again, you gotta think, Joshua has, has gotten this. And put yourself in Joshua's sandals. I mean, this is an amazing responsibility now that is on his shoulders. And he's being obedient, doing what God is telling him to do in these initial stages, in these initial steps. But in what these, these three verses is the response from the leaders of the tribe of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh are saying to him, we see that there's some affirmation in that. There's some exhortation, some encouragement coming towards Joshua and also some confirmation. 
I mentioned to you earlier in the, when I was sharing my testimony, I said I'd come back to this. One of the things that, that I, I, when, when it was first presented to me, when Pastor Todd first came to me and asked me to pray about being, coming on staff as a pastor, again, I said, a pastor? I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't even on, on anybody's radar screen. I mean, that was, I mean, I had, I had never even crossed my mind to be a pastor. So, like I said, initially I came, okay, and so praying about it. I told my wife and one other person to be praying with me on this because, I, 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 like I said, my first reaction was, I'm not qualified to do this. I can't do that. So I had two people praying along with me for that. That week, I'm not kidding you, three people came up to me at church. You should consider being a pastor. <laughs> Confirmation. I mean, that is exactly what I, I needed to hear. I, need, I, I needed confirmation that this wasn't just a, oh, we got to fill a spot, that this was actually from God. And there's no way, no way, that had to be from God. And he knew that I needed that. And I think when I read this, God knew that Joshua needed this, this confirmation. And I think as they throw it in there, hey, be strong and courageous at the very end. Just as God has told him a few times already, Joshua's like, all right, I get it. I get it. And look at the, look at the affirmation too. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Tell me that didn't bless him to hear that. Are they gonna listen to me? Are they gonna follow what I say? I mean, I'm taking over from Moses for crying out loud. Are they going to listen to me? Not only are they going to listen, they said, if anybody doesn't, we'll kill them. We got you 100%. You, Joshua, here's the deal. You follow God, we follow you. I do say, the part maybe make you check is, just as we obeyed Moses, huh. hey, could we turn that up a notch maybe? That didn't go over real well. Um, but anyway, that had to, had to bless him. And God loves to bless us that way too. Loves to bless us with, with confirmation, with hearing those things. And God loves to use us to bless other people that way. If God lays it on your heart to go up to somebody and say, hey, thank you for serving here. When you pick up your kids tonight, tell the teachers in there, thank you for teaching my kids tonight. When you see somebody doing some service, when you see somebody out in the parking lot waving people, thank you for doing that. Cleaning, thank you. Thank you. Affirmation goes a long way, and God wants to bless people by affirming them through you. That's all the time we have. But we got through it, chapter one. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, as always. Lord, what a gift it is. What a treasure it is. And Lord, I pray that as we begin this new study, 
that we really truly would approach it from that angle that, that we understand that it is for our instruction. That this isn't just some fascinating history class. That this isn't just some proof that we can use to defend our faith. All of those things are really, are really neat. But Lord, if we're not growing from this, if it's not, if it's not changing the way that we live, Lord, it's kind of a waste of our time. So Lord, I pray that we're all challenged by this. I pray that we're all encouraged by this. I pray, Lord, if there is that, that person, and you know who you are here, that is, that is struggling with an area of, of your Christian walk that the Lord has promised you to give to you, that tonight you would write in your heart that you would say, Lord, forgive me for my lack of faith right here, right now. I claim that piece of real estate that you have given me. And I will walk in victory from this time forward with your strength, in your power. Lord, that's our desire, all of us, to lead holy lives that honor you. Go before us as we, as we strive to do that, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have paid for and given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. 